This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey everyone, welcome into a special live episode of the Elisa Childers podcast. This podcast exists to help Christians identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and then to proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And of course, we always want to do that in very simple language. So if we use big words, we define them. So we try to release a new podcast just about every Sunday, and once in a while we'll do a live stream like this that will take the place of that week's podcast. So right when we're finished here today, we will send out the audio from today's live stream to audio platforms like iTunes and Spotify and Google. And so if you're watching live here on YouTube, please uh, subscribe and click that bell icon. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe because guys, you are not going to want to miss some of the great episodes we have coming up. I want to tell you about some of those. So definitely even right now, just hit that subscribe button because you don't want to miss these. We're going to be talking with Dr. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries, who works with Christian young people on a daily basis. That is just, he, he lives, breathes, eats, and sleeps uh, youth ministry and what these kids are facing. So he's coming on to talk about the biggest faith challenges that Christian kids are facing in today's culture. Next month, we're going to be doing a couple of fun live streams. One of the most popular episodes on my audio podcast. Uh, so for those of you who are listening to this on the audio version, you really loved this episode I did with Dr. Richard Howe, and it was called Ask a Seminary Professor Your Toughest Questions About God. And so we're going to do that again, only this time we're going to be doing it with a different seminary professor. We're going to be talking with Dr. Doug uh, Grothaus, who has written apologetics textbooks, He's a very wise man, a sophisticated philosopher, great apologist and scholar. So be looking for announcements for that next month. We're also going to be live streaming with Frank Turek to answer questions about his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which we are reading through in our book club on Facebook. Coming up on the podcast, we're going to be talking with the guys from the Cultish YouTube channel, the Cultish podcast. I have always wanted to do an episode about Jim Jones and Jonestown and what Christians can learn from uh, from that story and how we can be on the lookout for cult tactics and things like that. We're going to be talking with Dr. Michael McClymond, who wrote a massive, I think it's like 
1,200 pages total, uh, scholarly work on the history of the doctrine of universalism. And he argues that this is not the original position of the church and it is not biblical. So we're gonna be talking with him. We're gonna be talking with our friend Natasha Crane about the increase of secularism in our culture and how Christians can live faithfully different in that culture. We're gonna be talking with Scott Klusendorf about the most common objections to pro-life arguments. And then, this is what I'm really excited about coming up just in the next few months. We are gonna be doing a couple of mini-series. The first one is going to have to do, we're gonna take a look at biblical sexuality again. We're gonna be talking with Christopher Yuan and the controversy between side A Christianity and side B Christianity, the Revoice Conference. Christopher's gonna help us to understand that, discern that, and unpack it, and then we have a guest coming on that has been a dream guest of mine from the beginning. If there is somebody out in the Christian sphere that every time I listen to her, I am challenged, convicted, and pointed back to Christ in the Bible, it's Rosaria Butterfield. The Rosaria Butterfield is coming on the podcast to talk about identity and how Christians can derive our identity out of the Bible rather than from say, Freud. So we're going to talk about that with Rosaria Butterfield. And then either this week or next week, depending on when I can get around to it, I am going to put out a bonus episode. So this will probably come out midweek and it will be exclusive to the audio podcast. But I'm going to be giving some final thoughts on the whole Redeeming Love movie, book, and all of that. I put out a video a while back that has been uh, received with mixed reviews. A lot of people disagreed with my take on it, and that's fine. We are. I want to always point Christians to the Bible. We may not always get it right. I may not always get it right. That's why we have a Bible to make sure that we are in line with God's revealed word. So I'm going to be giving some final thoughts on that. So if you're not subscribed on the audio platforms, now would be a great time to do that. And finally, I want to let you know about a curriculum that's coming out this summer in July. We are putting out a curriculum for another gospel. So if you want to do a six-week small group study with your church uh, surrounding the content of another gospel, look for that. That will be coming out very soon. It will be six videos that, and I'm telling you guys, these are produced amazing. The, the, the production company just did a fantastic job. I had guests like Jay Werner Wallace and John McRae of the What Do You Mean podcast, and we're going to walk you through the content of another gospel. There's a participant's guide that goes along with that. Very excited to get that into your hands coming in July. You can actually look on Amazon. I think it's up on Amazon, and I think it's up on Tyndale.com too if you search for that. Okay. That is the business that we had to get out of the way, but it is finally time to introduce you to my guest. He is the mastermind behind the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel. He's on TikTok where he regularly reaches hundreds of thousands of people. He even has a couple of videos that have been viewed over a million and a half times, not hundreds of thousands, I mean million, over a million times. So I want to welcome the original Mr. B himself, Mr. Tim Barnett. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Wow. Oh, I love that. I the love people that. are going, the crowd goes wild. They're so excited they that you're here. Going wild. <laughs> Man, I, 
I wanted to resubscribe to your podcast and Me YouTube too. channel after I found <laughs> out about all the stuff that's happening. I don't know how you're doing it. I, I don't mean, either. Christopher Yuan, Rosario Butterfield. I mean, just go down the list. These are, that is like the A team right there. So I'm that's, excited. that's I, really cool. I know, like when, after Christmas, I was like, gosh, I hope I can think of some things to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> and then, you know, it just always comes about. But so, Tim, we're going to get into, we have a fun announcement to make. We're writing a book mm -hmm. together, we which are. is, we are both really excited about. But before we get into all of that, I want you to tell, mm -hmm. for anybody who might be unfamiliar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I am a full-time Christian apologist with a ministry called Stand to Reason. Okay, Stand to Reason. People can go to str.org to get all the info about, about that. And, uh, and what, what I'm kind of known for now is doing this thing called Red Pen Logic and uh, kind of the short story about how that started. Um, I don't know if you know, Alisa, but um, there was a pandemic that happened. Was there? Um, yeah. So, and I'm here in Canada. People might pick up on the <laughs> accent when I say out, about, that kind of thing. It's hard to hide. Okay. And so I... Uh, I was stuck here. I was grounded um, in Canada a couple years ago when it all when it all went down, and I was trying to think about ways that I could do ministry while I'm here in my office. And uh, at the time, I didn't even have the office. I was in my living room, and I was. Uh, and one of the ideas that um, I kind of came up with was this idea of taking a red pen and applying kind of the teacher corrective mindset to uh, tweets on on Twitter and Instagram posts and this kind of thing. And uh, so I, I pulled out the red pen and I started I started doing that and posted them online and they got a lot of traction. And so um, when the pandemic hit, we started doing that more. We launched a video and the videos, I couldn't believe it. The videos were doing so well. Um, I mean, we've we've posted people who know red pen logic you know, we're trying to do a video a week right now. And we have we have 27, 28 videos, something like that. And there's like 50,000 subscribers. Like yeah. I'm just, I don't get it, you know? Um, but uh, so we're having fun and we're, we got a Facebook page and that's done really well. Instagram, now we're on TikTok. And so, it, I mean, it's just, it's, we're just assessing, that's what I say. We assess bad thinking by using good thinking. That's what it's about. And yeah. we're, we're just having fun. Well, good. Well, I, I one thing we're going to do for the live audience today is we're going to red pen a couple sure. of memes live. Or I should say Tim is going to red pen them. I might pop in with a couple of comments. But uh, the uh, let me show them if they're unfamiliar with what sure. your work looks like. So this is one yeah. of the red pen, you know, logic uh, Instagram photos where you red penned this meme from a progressive Christian, and I'll describe it for our audio listeners who can't see mm -hmm. uh, see this on the screen, but it, it's a, f a cartoon drawing of Jesus, and there are two sheep in front of him, and one of the sheep is uh, sort of colored with a rainbow flag meant to resent, uh, represent the LGBTQ community, and then the other sheep uh, is just got the white normal wool, and mm -hmm. the one without the rainbow colors is saying to Jesus, but the verses, but the verses, mm -hmm. meaning the Bible verses, and then mm -hmm. Jesus is lovingly sort of touching both of the sheep, and Jesus says, love 
over versus. So Tim, walk us through the red pen of this meme. Yeah, so this is uh, this is a meme by the Naked Pastor. I think that's what he goes by, and mm-hmm. um, he this this is actually a powerful image because what's going on there is Jesus is got his arm around yes. the LGBT sheep, and it's kind of like putting his hand out like near the the other sheep's head, like I'm correcting you, you know, when he yeah. says but the verses. And we have so to just is... take a moment and realize the rhetorical power of this. This has oh incredible yeah. emotional and rhetorical power for sure. Yeah. And here's the thing. We want to say that, of course, Jesus loves LGBT people. I mean, they're made in the image of God. So but there's definitely something here that needed to be red penned. And I think kind of the the take home or the message, they're trying to make a a dichotomy. Um, You have this you have the verses on the one hand and love on the other. Okay, the commands of God on the one hand and love on the other. And what uh, the naked pastor here is trying to do is say it's it's either or, you know, mm-hmm. and and so what I did was I just um, I uh, highlighted a few things, and so I wrote, "Love doesn't trump God's commands; love obeys God's commands." And I just cited Second uh, John six, which says, "And this is love that we walk." or live according to his commandments, okay? And then I mm-hmm. cite another verse, 1 John. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and, not or, and obey his commandments. So our love and God's commands are related to each other. God's commands actually describe what true love is. And so I just end by saying, therefore, we love others by keeping God's commands, not rejecting them, which I think is what the meme is getting at. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's not love over verses. I sign off by saying it's love obeys verses. That's, yeah. what, that's what the Christian is called to do. I think that's what Jesus would say. Jesus never says once in his ministry, love over verses. That, those words are not on Jesus' lips. In, and I think you can make the case that at least John, the beloved disciple, says, no, 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 it's it's love and verses. To, love obeys the verses. Mm. It walks according to the commands of Jesus. Yes. That's good. So, so this was, uh, yeah, this was one we did. And, and, uh, and I think, too, just it has to be noted, as you've so well, uh, you know, beautifully articulated there, is that a lot of these memes are sort of always built on an assumption. There's always an assumption yeah. underneath that. And in this one, yeah. it's just this redefinition of love. It's it's defining love really as accepting, celebrating anything anybody else wants to say, do, or behave like. But of course, as you've pointed out, that's not the biblical definition of love at all. And, and Tim, I've been thinking about this just in life this week. And, you know, there's been some little controversies on Christian Twitter this week, and we're going to maybe <laughs> touch on those a little bit. Sure. But it, it just got me thinking so much, like we are so quick as Christians sometimes to just grab a hold of the world's vocabulary, just to grab hold mm. of culture's vocabulary and start trying mm. to, to use that that as our baseline as well. But I was just thinking about even this morning, we need to use biblical categories and biblical definitions of words as Christians. Uh, That's what we do. And that's usually going to be countercultural. And that's, and we're going to come back to this because, you know, we're going to talk about our book here in a second. Mm -hmm. And we've been working really hard 
for a while now, but really the last two weeks, I mean, since we signed that contract, you and I have been mm -hmm. going pretty hard here. Yeah. And we want to use, I mean, this is what's been in, in my mind. What are the biblical categories? What are the, what's the biblical terminology that's yeah. being used? And uh, because I think that's, that should be our guide when we're addressing the issue that we're, we're addressing. Well, and maybe this is a good place to talk about what our book is about, because I got red penned and I should have, I, I didn't load in the graphic. I should have <laughs> loaded in the graphic so everybody could see it. it. You know, of course we planned it, but I made an announcement that I've, you know, I've, I'm just signed a contract for a new book and I'll let you know what it's about later. And I'm going to come on YouTube and talk about it. And then Tim took that graphic and red penned it and let everybody know mm -hmm. that it's a co-write and mm -hmm. he's going to be on the live stream with me. But then you also revealed, you know, I don't have a drum roll. This is the closest I have to a drum roll. Wait. That's that's the closest I have. That's, is, you know. Okay. That's more like when I tell something, when I say something really funny, I want you to, I want you to throw that one. Down. I'm going to try to remember. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so drum roll, it's about deconstruction. So this is a huge topic in the church right now. It's been a huge yeah. topic on Christian Twitter and on the Christian mm -hmm. headlines this week. And uh, so you announced when you red penned me that that's what the book is going to be about. And um, so the so the memes we're going to actually red pen here in a moment have to do with the topic of deconstruction. And yeah. so I wonder maybe that maybe a good thing to do before we do the red penning of the memes is to talk a bit about. In my view, I think the biggest challenge we've had, Tim, in researching this yeah. book, and, and in the researching, by the way, we've been reading books, we've been spending a ton of time on social media in the echo chambers of the deconstructionist movement, because it is absolutely a movement, make no mistake. And I think the things that are emerging, the biggest challenge for us, I think, has been to define it because it's a very loose term. It's broadly used. It's used mm -hmm. for a wide variety of different types of processes and people use it in different ways. They mean different things by it. And so the one thing I think would be very good for us to help people understand is that there really is a difference between an individual person who might be in a real crisis of faith, walking through doubts, wondering if the whole thing is true. Maybe they've been abused. There can be all sorts of trauma and things associated with an individual person walking through a deconstruction. When we're addressing the movement, we're not talking about the one person or, you know, because I walked that path. I was there too. And so I have a lot of sympathy for people who are in deconstruction. But there is a movement. There's an agenda. There is a a messaging that is going out. In fact, Tim and I have talked about it. It's very religious in nature. We're even working on the book about comparing it to a new cultural religion in that it has mm -hmm. uh, certain tenets that are that emerge. There yeah. are priests and prophets and pastors who are the social media spearheads that are promoting these ideas. There's evangelism. There's all of this involved with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but Tim, I'll throw this over to you. Yeah. Um, where are you landing? as far as when you hear the word deconstruction, oh, Christians are deconstructing, what do you think yeah. is a helpful definition for us to be thinking about to try to nail that down? Yeah, well, this, this is the million dollar question. And this to me was the most surprising thing that I've discovered in the last 
weeks and, and months really in, in reading about this and trying to understand it, um, uh, you know, going over the different deconstruction stories that have been posted, the popular ones, as well as books that have been written. And at this point, um, it's, it is extremely hard to have one definition of deconstruction. And this, uh, to me, this is, this is what's causing all the confusion. Mm -hmm. um, because there are people that just mean simply, I'm cha I've changed my mind, okay? I examined one of my Christian beliefs and I, I, I've re-examined it, I've dissected it, deconstructed it, and, I, and I've, I've changed my mind on something. And this is why we're seeing, you know, guys like Martin Luther being yeah. used as like the great deconstructor. Yeah. Because, you know, he challenged he was the, some of the he beliefs of the church. deconstructed from the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, there, so there's one example. The, I, I read a tweet yesterday. The Bereans were deconstructors. The Bereans? <laughs> well, yeah, because they examined the scriptures to see if these things be right. so. Okay. Jesus was a deconstructor. You know, uh, Derek Webb, he says we can, we can, I got yeah. a tweet, I think. We're going to red pen um, that in a moment. Yeah. So you, you have these different people who are, are referring to deconstruction as this kind of innocent and, um, and this uh, laudable, you know, yeah, we should, we shouldn't just blindly believe everything we're told. We ought to examine our beliefs and, and maybe re-examine some of those beliefs, but then Alisa, there is this other thing that you just referred to going on where it's not just asking questions like there is a there is it's more insidious. Mm -hmm. There is uh, courses that you can take. Oh, yeah. That where people will help you deconstruct. There I is took one like I, I signed up and I took one. Yeah, they will there, guide you I mean, right through. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, have you ever considered? And then they have their, they got their watchtower magazine and they're going to walk me through, you know, some mm -hmm. doctrine of, of the Jehovah's Witness church. Okay. It's kind of like that, but they're not going door to door. They're posting uh, on, on Instagram and there's whole accounts and they will walk you through deconstruction. And I think some of this is real dangerous because yeah. these are not reliable guides to be taking anyone through deconstruction. It's like, look, when my car's got a problem, look, my, my car does have some problems. Okay. Like I'm driving this, this 10 year old Acura. Okay. And all the lights are on. It's like a Christmas tree. And I know it's going to cost me too much to, you know, I I'm just going to drive it till it dies. But what I did was I didn't just take it to my neighbor over here. Who's a police officer to work on my car. Okay. I took it to a trusted, actually my buddy, who's a, who's a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who knows his way around my car. So there, there, so th there's a, there's a question there about who is helping you through this deconstruction process. I think that you're right. There is, I, you know, John Cooper, the, uh, uh, skillet singer, um, songwriter, you you know him personally mm -hmm. he he made waves because he referred to the deconstruction movement as a false religion yeah and and here's here's the problem with what all that transpired after that people were talking past each other because yeah. everyone is working from a different definition of what deconstruction is 
Yeah. So you got the guys jumping in and saying, what's John's problem? Right. People are just, Luther did this. People are just asking questions. Mm -hmm. No, that's, the, I don't think, I mean, I want to be charitable to John here. That's not what he was talking about. Right. He was talking about this other thing that has developed over the last couple of years. Look, no one knew the word deconstruction a couple of years ago. Let's be yeah. real. Yeah. Nobody was using that term, right? Right. This is like a new movement that has really got legs in the last in the last little while. Of course, people have been questioning. Of course, people have been doubting. We're going to talk about this in our book. We talk about deconstructing Demas. I mean, since the beginning of the church, well-known Christians have been what you want to what, what they want to call deconstructing. OK, um, so that's not new, but there is this new element. And if we're I mean, if we ignore it, I mean, it's just it's there. And what you and I are going to do is we're going to talk about this, this part of it yeah. um, in, in more detail and kind of document what's been going on. Yeah. And uh, and so anyways, we can we can go on. But so this yeah. is why I'm a little nervous about giving a a definition. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's kind of like the word evolution. We were talking about this uh, the other day. Um, I, the word evolution has lots of different meanings. People mm -hmm. think, you know, change over time. And then there's, and then of course there's evolution. Yeah. That's like everything evolved from a single common ancestor, you know, 3.8 million billion years ago. Yeah. And so there's different definitions of evolution. If I said to you, Ken Ham is an evolutionist. Ken Ham, for those of you who don't know, Ken Ham is like probably the most popular young earth creationist on the planet. Okay, like he's the guy in Cincinnati who built a giant boat, a giant ark. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's kind of famous for that. He's got the Creation Museum. If I said the young earth creationist Ken Ham is an evolutionist, you guys would be like, what is he talking about? That's confusing. Well, he believes that like dogs change. Yeah, but Tim, you, evolution means like, okay, so it turns out we got to understand what we're taught, what we're saying to each other, or we can equivocate on these words, yeah. on this word evolution. I think that's what's going on yeah. when we say Jesus was a deconstructionist. Martin, Martin Luther, Luther was a deconstructionist. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Luther is a deconstructionist like Ken Ham is a, is an evolutionist. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's just, yeah. it's just not an appropriate term. There's better words, more biblical right. words that we could apply. Right. Well, and that's interesting, too, because when the whole John Cooper thing broke, uh, I remember uh, seeing the initial tweet. I think I first saw it on Derek Webb's Twitter um, because mm. I've just been I, I mean, I've been in that echo chamber now, you know, for at mm. least a, lo a while, but deeply in for the last couple of weeks, just spending even a whole day on someone's TikTok with 200,000 followers who's trying to get people to deconstruct. And so, mm. so that was really on my radar. And then I see this tweet from Derek Webb about John and I clicked on it and it starts with John, you know, declaring war on the Christian deconstruction movement, I think is what he called it. Yeah. And yeah. In, instantly I knew exactly what he was talking about because I mm. was so steeped in that world. Mm. And of course the, and you know, John is my friend. And uh, so I do want to stick up for him a little bit here. And this is just me. I'm not speaking for Tim or anybody, but I will just tell everyone, if you saw that, 
I would just ask you to watch the whole thing in context because what the deconstructors did, and this is what they did, they took a very short edit that started at the most heightened part of the talk and they shot that out and then tried to act like John's trying to make people violent or something. And he was very clear in the whole talk that he was talking about the war of ideas. This is a war of philosophy, which, by the way, yeah. if you're a Christian and you don't like war metaphors, you might want to read your Bible more because it's full of war metaphors. Yeah. In fact, that's what spiritual warfare is, is, yeah. is taking captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. And so John was saying yeah. to these young 20,000 Christian kids at Winter Jam, Hollywood's lying to you. Politicians are lying to you. Everybody's lying to you. The Christian de deconstruction movement is lying to you. And he was encouraging them to follow their Bibles. Trust Jesus. Jesus is your Lord and don't follow cult culture. And he was also, by the way, setting up a song about that concept, about war. Uh, it's a huge theme of their new album. So I would just encourage any Christian, if you're confused about what he was talking about, there, there's an article on churchleaders.com that gives more context. You can watch the, a video of the whole talk that he's been giving night after night on Winter Jam. Uh, but anyway, check that out for yourself. And, you know, if, if, if somebody's like, ooh, I don't like what he said, I just encourage you, read your Bible more and, and make sure that what you think about reality lines up with what Scripture says about reality. But, but back to the, the confusing part is that a lot of people heard him say, mm -hmm. I'm declaring war on that poor kid over there that's... Yeah doubting their faith. And I know John. John is one of the most loving people I know. He's got tons of atheists and non-believers that work for him. They all love him. Something was deeply misunderstood, and it has to do with definitions. So yeah. this might be a good time to do the first red pen. Okay, so this was one. This is okay. uh, like, I, th I think this is the one here. There it is. Okay, so yeah. for, the, for the listening audience, since we kind of on, the, on that uh, topic, this is set up as a logical syllogism. If you're unfamiliar with a, what a logical syllogism is, is it's a it's a argument, a, a logical argument, a philosophical construct that consists of, of a number of premises, and then if the mm -hmm. premises are true, then a logical conclusion must follow. So the third uh, or fourth or how many, depending on how many premises there are, will be the conclusion that follows the premises. And so for the argument to be sound, the conclusion has to accurately actually follow the premises. And also you for, for it to be true, you would have to prove the premises are true. So this logical syllogism, syllogism is set up like this. Number one, John Cooper says deconstruction is a false religion. Number two, premise two, Martin Luther deconstructed his Catholic faith. The conclusion that follows is, well, and it actually doesn't follow, but Protestantism yeah. <laughs> is, unless John Cooper is all powerful, um, Protestantism is a false religion. So Tim, how would mm -hmm. you red pen this meme? Yeah, so I'm gonna give uh, the guy <clears throat> who posted this the benefit of the doubt and that he is not trying to actually put together a logical argument here, premise yeah. one, premise two, conclusion, because it's it's not it's not a logical argument. It doesn't, doesn't work, it's not valid. Um, but here's the here's the main the, my main concern with it, and that is there is an equivocation on the word deconstruction. By equivocation, I mean that they're using a, a, the same word in premise one and premise two, but it's it's being used in different ways. Okay, and this is where again 
there's just no charity anymore online. Okay. Yeah. You, you, if you, if you say the sky is blue, someone is going to come you all know these people who are on your, on your social media feeds, you know, who are going to come in and they just like, well, really you're saying it's not really blue. You're saying, you know, they just, they're going to interpret you in the worst possible light, you know? So yeah. John Cooper says deconstruction is a false religion. Well, as you just pointed out, Lisa, he wasn't saying he was talking about a specific movement that's that's going on here. OK, and and it's now actually getting more of a name. I mean, we're there's something called the Deconstruction Project, right? Is that what it's called? The Evangelical Deconstruction Project. Yeah, that's starting to that's starting to pop up, too. I have a podcast on that if anybody missed that. And that has more to do with. Uh, there's a certain number of self-professed evangelicals who are trying to mm -hmm. apply the tools uh, really that I think are trickling down from critical theory, but uh, through the lenses yeah. of history and sociology to determine what authentic Christianity is rather than going to scripture mm -hmm. to determine yeah. what authentic Christianity is. So so the, yeah. that's what that's about, if anybody's wondering. So there's this, I mean, so I, I, minimally, the, the this movement, this word can be can mean a lot of different things. And so John means something very specific when he says deconstruction is a false religion. And then, of course, the premise two here, number two, Martin Luther deconstructed his Catholic faith. True enough. But now what are we talking about when it says Martin Luther deconstructed? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, when has anyone in the last few hundred years used that term to describe Martin Luther? Well, nobody. What we talk about is reformation. He was reforming Christian doctrine. I prefer the word when we're talking about Martin Luther. And again, I've been thinking about this all week. What's the difference? What Martin Luther did was you can call it deconstruction if you want, but I don't think that's a helpful word. I think what he did was more like restoration. Mm -hmm. restoration what do i mean well he was he was deconstructing or re-examining his faith in light of scripture in light of something that he believed to be true okay look at martin luther took it as a given that god had communicated god had revealed himself in scripture scripture has authority it's his starting point yes compare that to with what's going on with a lot of what's called deconstruction nowadays that's not what people are doing some people are doing that sure they're going to scripture like the bereans opening it up and saying is this in line with what the bible teaches great that's what luther did what are people doing generally, or the majority of people who are deconstructing aren't taking that approach. It's a different approach. They're deconstructing in light of sociology or history or, you know, critical, critical theory. They're deconstructing in light of personal preferences. Mm -hmm. They're deconstructing in light of personal experiences. They're deconstructing in light of, and then you fill in the blank, but it's not in light of scripture. And so, I mean, again, we can say that what Luther did was kind of like what's going on in the sense that he is re-examining and questioning and changing his mind on something. But how he's going about doing that is fundamentally different than what's going on 
with a lot of the deconstruction stories that are happening out there. Okay. Yeah. Again, this is uh, anecdotal. I mean, I'm just like everybody else trying to figure this out. And so we're looking at every, all these different stories mm. and um, I'm finding it very difficult to come up with a story where someone looks like the Bereans. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Where they're saying, you know what? Yeah, we got to, we, we got to reexamine this doctrine. But, so are you go and are they go, okay, let's see what this text says. There are whole books written. They're not quoting scripture. They're deconstructing, but they're looking at, well, this, uh, this doctrine has oppressed people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did a whole, you did a whole podcast on this with Neil Shenby. We're, we don't like complementarianism. Oh, is it because the Bible doesn't teach it? Because that's a different, that's a question we need to go to. What does yeah. the Bible teach? No, they're saying, no, because it's been used by oppressive white pa patriarchy to oppress women. That's why it's got to go. Yeah. Okay, well, wait a second. That's not what Luther did. Right. So you can't, so so what you're doing, you can, again, we're using the same word. They want to call Luther in the tweet. He deconstructed, but that the process is completely different. The how he deconstructed that he deconstructed. Okay. Maybe you want to call it that, but when you start looking at the how question, mm -hmm. it's fundamentally different. And yeah. so that's why I think if we want to get rid of the confusion, I think if we're talking about what Luther's doing, let's use a different term. Yeah. How about Reformation? Because that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you might know, be a good That's a term. good word. We might try that one out. Well, and that's the thing I was sort of mentioning earlier is we're so quick to take the world's words and categories and try to apply mm -hmm. them. And, uh, you know, in the Mama Bear Apologetics book, um, Hillary came up with this uh, phrase, linguistic theft which has to do with mm -hmm. taking a word, redefining it, and refashioning it to suit your purposes. That's a paraphrase. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, you know, we always say we don't want them to do that. But as Christians, yeah. <clears throat> we shouldn't do that either. If if there's a word that means something to a, a group of people that are very, seem to be emerging in very much unity about what their authority is, the way that they think the world works, and then try to apply that as a positive term for Christians, I just feel like mm. it's so confusing because then you really just have a word that's a catch-all for any type of changing your mind. And if the yeah. word means everything, then it means nothing. If it just means, Tw oh, Tweet I, that. Tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> well, put it in the book. But yeah. uh, I'm not on Twitter anymore. As Bodhi yeah. Bauckham said, I'm not sanctified enough for Twitter. My life has vastly improved since I'm not on Twitter. I mean, I go, I lurk on Twitter, but I don't have a personal account on Twitter. But mm. um, but that's, that's it, isn't it? If it means everything, then it means nothing. And if it just means changing yeah. your mind, well, then the, the person who grew up a Presbyterian and then converts to becoming a Southern Baptist deconstructed their Presbyterianism. I mean, at, at some point, it just gets silly to use the word. And so mm -hmm. I think that it's, for me, as I'm really thinking this through, I think it's helpful, like we mentioned earlier, to separate the individual people who are experiencing something really painful from the, a movement that has an agenda. 
And, yeah. and that's what we're really going after to define and talk about and define as this type of new cultural religion that is so very evangelistic. I mean, they will take your money to buy a T-shirt, to give you a conference. There are therapist uh, sites and counseling sites all over that are dedicated. I mean, it's, it's become a business in many ways. Um, and I'm not criticizing people for making money for what they're doing. That's not the point of saying that. But to act like it's just sort of this, this poor people that are going through this difficult thing, that's not the whole story there. And I think that's why it's so important to really think about definitions and how we're using the word. Because one observation, Tim, that I've made as I've, especially this week, as I've been traveling, I've just been uh, immersing myself in the TikToks and Instagrams and Twitter pages of some of this um, movement is that it's really clear that there is such unity on the fact that human beings are not inherently sinful. And we need to look inside of ourselves to figure out what we think is good and moral and healthy and moving us toward our own definition of wholeness. And that all sounds really good, right? You want someone to be healthy. You want someone to be whole. But if we're just looking to ourselves to guide us there, if Christianity is true, then that moral compass, that nature is broken. It's like a broken mm -hmm. compass. And so that has to be realigned with the truth. And so according to Christianity, that is done by immersing yourself in the word of God and letting that transform you and conform you to the image of Christ, which means something biblically. That's really the biggest difference, I think, is that in deconstruction, they might appeal to certain scriptures for certain things. They might like certain parts of scripture. They might reinterpret parts of scripture. But at the bottom of the whole thing, they're not going to Scripture as their authority for truth. So it's really a matter of authority. Are you going to be your own authority or are you going to let everything that you think and believe be filtered through Scripture? And I think that's another really strong reason why Martin Luther was not a deconstructionist. And yeah. we might not agree with all of his views. We may not think he got things right. But ultimately, he believed we are, of course, created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, we all have inherent worth and value and dignity. But we've all distorted that image in one way or another. And for Luther, he was trying to get back to the truth of Scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if anything, I've argued this even in my work on progressive Christianity, because in progressive Christianity, they'll say that too. They'll try to claim Luther as a progressive. And my point yeah. is, no, it was the church that had gone progressive. And, and Luther was saying, we have to get back to the word of God. And so that's a huge difference as well, I think. You know what? And this is something I, uh, we were talking about off air, and I just kind of discovered this story yesterday or the day before. And I think this illustration, this metaphor will help drive this point home. Um, so there is this painting, and again, I don't know, I, I just discovered this a couple of days ago, I'm learning about it as we go here, so you guys at home can look into this. But there is a painting called Savator Mundi, it's a, it's a Leonardo da Vinci painting, um, one of the most uh, recent, I think, that's, that's been discovered. Originally, this painting was thought to be a copy of a copy of da Vinci's work, okay? So it wasn't valued at uh at very much a few hundred or thousand dollars and uh it was later discovered and through a really cool way they they were able to figure out the thumb it's a picture of christ 
Savitor Mundi means um, a savior of the world, they were able to see that Leonardo had actually was going to paint the thumb one way and then change the angle of the thumb. <clears throat> and that pointed to its, uh, its being original. And so um, here's how this relates though. This painting, they over time it had been overpainted. I think they call it overpainting where they, people tried to actually restore the painting but ended up making it worse and worse and worse. And you could see this painting before it's now been restored by professionals it looked horrible. It had glue on it. It had paints on it. It had all this stuff needed to be stripped away. And what I see Luther doing is something akin to that. He is, he is there, there was a core fundamental Christianity that was, that was true and good and beautiful. And what happened was over time, the church and people in perverted and changed what the, what Christianity was was originally. And what had to be done, what Luther did was call it deconstruction or whatever, but he restored, I like the word restoration, he restored the painting, stripping that away. And what was revealed was this beautiful piece of art, which was sold um, to one of the princes of Abu Dhabi for $450 million. Um, it was, I, I believe it's the um, most expensive painting on the planet. So here you have this amazing story. I think for a lot of us, we have this core foundation of, uh, of Christianity, but then this other stuff kind of gets poured onto it. And, um, and it's, not, it's not biblical Christianity. And what we need to do is get back to what's underneath, get back to the core. And that might re mean removing and re-examining and reforming different mm. things, asking big questions. We're not afraid of questions, not at all. But you need the right person to restore the pain. This was part of the problem. There were lots of people attempting to restore this thing mm -hmm. and they made, a, they made a mess out of it. They made a mess out of it. And certainly taking, you know, uh gasoline to it and set it on fire that's not gonna that's not gonna restore the painting right there yeah. are certain and this is what our concern is partly our concern is there are people out there who um who don't think the thing underneath is valuable at all and you need to you need to burn this thing to the ground and um we're saying no no, no there is something valuable here more valuable than a 450 million dollar painting okay yeah. And, uh, and so what in our book, again, we're, and this, we want to make this clear. This is not, we're not writing a book that you are going to hand over. Oh, look at this book I got here. It's a good one. Look at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, the, it's not the book that you're just going to hand necessarily to anyone who's deconstructing. Although I think it's going to be helpful for them, but we really want to help the church understand and have good conversations about this thing that is going under the broad umbrella of deconstruction and just, and, and really bring order. I mean, there's just, there is way too much confusion. And I think, I think what we're going to write will, will be a, a, a big help to the church.
I, I hope so, too. And what you're talking about reminds me of a story that kind of went viral around 2014. And I still giggle when I think about it. And I wish I would have pulled this up to show everyone. But you all can Google this. The title of the article is Botched Restoration of Jesus Fresco Miraculously Saves Spanish Town. And apparently what happened is that in, 20, in 2012, this 82-year-old widow, an amateur painter, attempted to restore Eke Homo, um, yes. an almost century-old fresco. <laughs> that was of Jesus crowned with thorns. And if you you have to see the visual though, because <laughs> it was so bad. Her mm. her restoration was really, really bad. So I feel like there's a good metaphor <laughs> in there somewhere. Let's let's get back to the original, right? And let's let's yeah. restore what real um actual faith is. Anyway, look that up. That's again, it's yeah. botched restoration of Jesus Fresco miraculously saves Spanish town. It just always gives me such a giggle whenever I see it. All right, yeah. so let's let's red pen this next one here. These this is along these same lines. And uh if you're watching us live here on YouTube, in a few minutes we're going to go and take a few questions. So if you'll please write the word question in all caps before your question, uh I I can grab that out of the comments and we'll try to get to as many as we can with the amount of time that we have. Uh, but we'll do mm -hmm. more of this, won't we, Tim, kind of along the, the process. Oh, sure. We, um, In fact, there are some people that we want to interview uh, to help us through our thinking, and we're thinking, well, maybe we'll just turn those into live streams or podcasts so, mm -hmm. so that everybody can benefit uh, with as we analyze this movement. Uh, but mm -hmm. here is the next one that we're going to red pen. This is from Derek Webb. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Derek Webb, he's the former lead singer of Cademan's Call, and uh, we're not putting this up here to make fun of Derek or to, um, you know, condemn Derek. I actually think his the lyrics that he wrote on his album after he deconstructed. And uh, there's a there's a song on there that breaks my heart every time I read the lyrics, and it's incredibly moving. And it honestly articulated a lot of the feelings I had when I was in deconstruction. So uh, please, nobody think that that we are attacking him or uh, making fun of him. But I, I just think this tweet is so is such worth a red pen because we have to analyze these ideas right we're not attacking people but we do need to yeah. analyze ideas and tear down those bad ideas and so this uh, for the listening audience it's a quote from Jesus which says you have heard it said but I say unto you and then that's the end quote so he's referencing all of that section of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said you've heard it said but I say to you and by the way, I have probably some thoughts on this too, because I actually wrote a research paper that dealt with this pretty deeply. But Derek's comment is, no one deconstructed before Jesus did. So Tim, mm -hmm. how would you red pen this <clears throat> tweet? Yeah, well, I'd be interested in your, in your comments here. Uh, there's a couple things that I would say. First, it's, I mean, everybody wants Jesus on their side, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody. And so uh, the progressives want Jesus, Muslims want Jesus, you know, I mean, er, er, New Agers want Jesus. Um, and so if you could turn G Jesus into a deconstructor, well, wow, okay, he's on my side, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the, the first observation is like, why did someone tweet this? Well, I think it's because they they want to show, hey, let's let's trot out all these deconstructors and get them on our side. So Martin Luther, no one's talking about Luther until like last week when Cooper makes this claim because it's like, yeah, let's get Luther on our side. 
um, until next week when they discover Luther said some things about, you know, Jews or whatever. And it's like, yeah. oh, I don't want, I don't, I don't want Luther anymore, you know? So it's just kind of the, that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, it's, it's interesting to me because I don't think what Jesus is doing again is akin to anything like what's going on in the deconstruction movement. What he is doing is I, I mean, if you read that, this is likely out of Matthew five, I think I say to you, He's talking about different behaviors. You've heard it said, Here are this, here's this behavior, like murder or adultery or whatever. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart, this idea. What Jesus is doing is he's revealing more information that they just weren't aware of. Okay, remember Jesus, we believe, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, um, he is revealing, he's raising the bar. In fact, I think at the end of this discourse, he says something like, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So you guys are keeping these commands. Oh, you haven't killed anyone? Okay, great. Have you ever hated someone? Because mm -hmm. you're guilty of breaking the law is what he's saying. So again, I don't think this is like tearing down. He wasn't saying, oh, you can still go murder people. No, he's saying, You've, here's here's all that all that stuff from the Old Testament that kind of kept your uh, actions in in check. Well, it's not just actions; it has to do with your heart. That's where it all starts. Um, so I, again, I I think the second I mean, kind of another point would be that this is Jesus we're talking about, who is the giver. He is giving God's word as he speaks. What people today are doing is they're deconstructing God's word. What Jesus is doing is giving God's word, okay? There's a huge difference between those two things. He's not rejecting, um, you know, those old commands. No, he still thinks it's wrong to kill. He's just, he's upping the ante, so to speak. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, very similar. So what I did was a deep dive. Uh, I actually did a research paper, and it was based on a claim that Richard Rohr had made that Jesus opposed, denied, uh, or uh, ignored any scriptures that were imperialistic, tribalistic, or exclusive. I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head, something like that. Uh, punitive, punitive. And so he gave, but in his footnote, he only gave a couple of examples. So for my research paper, it was for the, the um, my first four credit class I took at SES. So it was basically a deep dive into that footnote to see if what Richard Rohr was saying was true. And so I went through all the statements that Jesus made in that section uh, for you've heard it said, but I say to you, and in and I'm just going to try to remember this off the top of my head, but this is on my website, so I'll put the link down. So in case I remember it wrong, you can go and get all the facts on it because I, I actually uploaded my research paper to my website, so you can read it for yourself. But of all the statements Jesus made, um, several of them, the majority of them, he was quoting an Old Testament scripture and doing exactly what you just said. He was actually making it harder to get away with, uh, you know, upholding that law. He made it harder to accomplish. So he wasn't changing anything. He wasn't deconstructing anything. He was actually making it more difficult to obey. Yeah. So that would be the first point. Now, there were a couple that were, um, one of them, if my memory serves me correctly, he was, he was saying, you've heard it said, and then he was referencing 
what the scribes and Pharisees had added to the scripture. So he wasn't actually quoting scripture and changing scripture. What he was saying is, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he was actually uh, refuting the false interpretations that the Pharisees had about the scripture. So there was a couple of those that were um, a little in a different vein. But I have all that on my website, and I'll put that there if anybody is interested in looking at some of that. Uh, There seems to be, uh, as I'm sort of glancing down at the comments here, I can't read all the comments, but I'm seeing a question emerge that seems to be being discussed in the comments. And that is about Luther, because we're talking about Luther. And so it looks like a couple of people are saying, no, actually, I think what Luther was doing was a type of deconstruction because Mm -hmm. he was trying to take books out of the Bible in reference to the Apocrypha. And he was Mm -hmm. saying, you know, Luther was saying we shouldn't be using the Apocrypha. So according to these commenters, they were trying to remove, he was trying to remove books. Now, this was a question I had when I was in Reconstruction, and it's been a really long time since I looked into it, but my memory serves, and if you don't know the answer, I can't answer this fully. Um, I'm perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know, we'll do a little more research, but my memory says that the Catholic Church didn't actually canonize the Apocrypha until yeah. after the Reformation in response to it. And uh, that that mm-hmm. is my memory. Uh, but yeah. I didn't know if you had anything to add to that or? No, you're right. I actually have this, uh, this short little book here. Um, what's it called? It's uh, Michael Bird. I got this for Christmas. Oh, Seven yeah. things I wish um, every Christian knew about the Bible. He And he actually has a little chapter on that. The Council of Trent, if my memory serves me, is when uh, the Apocrypha was um, I think that's canonized. Right. And, and that comes after the, ref- that is in response to Luther and the Reformation. And if you go back, I mean, it's it certainly, the Apocrypha w- was debated amongst uh, the early church. And it certainly was not in stone that, that those books were all accepted um, as, as, uh, scripture. Um, so yeah, yeah you, and I, I mean, think it's true. Someone's pointing out Luther wanted to remove James and revelation. I, I do think that is accurate. And so yeah. that is something, but I think the point that we're trying to make though, is that Lu- scripture was his authority. Now, it, mm-hmm. it, of course, looking back on history, we know he was wrong about James, and I am not a Luther expert. There are probably other people who are dying to jump in here because they have things to say about it, and it's sure. definitely a conversation worth having. But I think the main point is Luther did not say, hey, the, the scriptures are oppressive to people. The scriptures mm-hmm. are um, something that's archaic and outdated, and we need to realize that we are not fallen in our nature. We need to look inside ourselves and look at what we think is morally good and true. He was not a relativist. He was not a postmodern in that sense. And again, I think that is, it's just, it doesn't change the argument that Luther was not deconstructing. Frankly, the word deconstruction as it's used didn't even become a thing until around the 60s through the 80s with the whole postmodern. Of course, Jacques Derrida is is credited as being the father of deconstruction. Yes, we know that when people are using the word deconstruction today, they're not meaning exactly what Derrida meant. Uh, But I've argued and we're this is what we're wrestling with as we are writing this book is 
you know, is there a connection to Foucault and Derrida and these postmodern mm. philosophers with what we're seeing in the deconstruction movement? And I think so far, what I've seen is a resounding yes, there's a connection. And so um, that I think that's another big difference. Yeah, and they don't, well, I think you want to make clear that most people don't know who Derrida is or Foucault, but we are influenced by philosophies and mm -hmm. philosophers, even though we may not know what the name of the philosophy is, the isms, you know, that, that follow. So that's a really important thing. So most people have no idea who Derrida is, um, but they're influenced by some of these, some of his thinking without realizing it. And that's what that was a question mark for us, you know, as we began this project is like, is the is the philosophical um, understanding of deconstruction? Is that the same thing as what Rhett's talking about? You yeah. know, when he hops online and starts saying, look, and I'm deconstructing and gets, you know, 2 million views um, going through his deconstruction story uh, or, or any of these other guys are those related to each other and that was kind of a question we both had and it seems like actually there is a connection um going on there is this kind of postmodernism or this relativism that has um kind of worked its way in to some of these uh deconstruction testimonies yeah here's a good question from heaven bound why all these doubts creep in if the Holy Spirit is witnessing the truth in us? Um, yeah. I'll be curious to hear what Tim has to say about this, but what I would say to this is I am a firm believer that the Lord is working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And mm -hmm. when I was in my own deconstruction, when I was in the darkest times of doubt and uh verging on unbelief, I believe that the Lord sovereignly orchestrated that in my life so that I wouldn't be able to lean on any sort of a feeling, so that I wouldn't be able to get those goosebumps to reconfirm to me what I had always believed was true. I think the Lord orchestrated that. I think he divinely removed a sense of his presence from me so that I would be tested in a way that caused me to dig and dive deep into studies and to know what I think about these life and death questions. And the whole time he was there, the perception was that he wasn't there, but he was. And the reason, look at what we're doing today. Look at the books I've written. Look at the book we're writing now. I believe that the, the Lord used that doubt and even orchestrated that and sovereignly appointed that in my life so that I would be forced to walk that path, which was a path of about, you know, anywhere from six to 10 years to get here. Um, I think I was pregnant with my son when I was in, starting to be in deconstruction, and he's 10. So... I I think that there's a few philosophers that have talked about this is the problem of the hiddenness of God. And I think that that if God revealed himself fully to us, if all of us just had this total assurance in our spirit, bearing witness in all of us all the time, that Jesus was uh, who he said he was, that God is real, nobody would 
it would sort of in, infringe on free will. We wouldn't really be able to make a choice. But I think, along with philosophers like Peter Kraft and others who have talked about this, I think God keeps enough of himself hidden so that those who want him will find him. But those who want to reject him and don't want him will, will have reason to say, he's not there. I don't see him. I don't feel him. So yeah. Ultimately, I don't know why in different seasons of our life he withholds that. Even now, I experience seasons like that. Even as an apologist, when I'm writing books or even doing these podcasts, where I'll have weeks where I'm just like, I don't feel anything. I feel dead inside. I <laughs> just, what's going on? And then the Lord in his faithfulness will give me a, a season, which is one that I'm in right now, where the word is just coming alive to me. His spirit is confirming things to me. I'm, I, I'm, becoming alive in his presence and filled with joy with who he is. But I know full well there'll be another season that will be a desert season. Sorry, that was a really long question. Tim, I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well. That was a really long answer. It was a short question. Yeah, um, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> I just got red penned in real yeah. time. <laughs> the the uh, Okay, so I love what you said there about God using doubts. Um, you know, it's the, the biggest problem that we're facing with especially young people walking away is not just doubt in general, it's unexpressed doubts. That's what, that's what David Kinnaman in his book, You Lost Me, he says that. Another study found that it was actually those students who expressed their doubts, who when they tracked them in this five-year longitudinal study, ended up having a stronger faith on the other side of it. Okay, so, so doubt is not the problem, I know the, the question was something like, why doesn't the Holy Spirit keep those doubts from creeping in? Well, doubt's not the problem. I think it's unexpressed doubts. Doubts mm. that are left suppressed end up being the big problem. When we express our doubts and then go search for answers, seek out the answers, seek God, um, we, we end up finding. And for some of us, I mean, this would be my testimony as well, that I have grown closer to God through my own personal questions and doubts. I, I mean, I wouldn't characterize anything I've gone through as a deconstruction, um, but I've certainly had plenty of, of uh, doubts, whether intellectual or emotional and even some uh, volitional, you know, uh, like the doubts have to do with the will. So that's that's kind of a, that's a first um, kind of a starting point there. Um, there was another point that I wanted to make. Uh, what was it? I'm sure it was absolutely I bet it brilliant. was brilliant. Um, oh, it, just that, if I, and I don't understand this completely, but there are times, like Elisa just expressed, where we just, man, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm just, it's just not happening, you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, where you at, you know? And, um, and so and it's and I'm confused and it's like, OK, wait, Holy Spirit, you're supposed to like help me out here, you know, because I don't understand what I just read, you know. And so there there are certainly some some question marks, but there are other times when it's like I'll get two sentences in and it's like, boom, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, wow. OK, I, I should have sat down for this, you know, that kind of deal. Um, God's God's speaking to me. God's doing something. He's, this is for me today, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, the Christian life is, is strange like that. Um, but what I found is, and again, this is anecdotal, but the more time 
I spend in relationship, that is in prayer, that is thinking about and studying God's word, that I feel uh, closest to him. And those doubts um, uh, aren't as aren't as serious, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not like they all go away. There are some times I wake up and it's like, well, what if, what if I'm wrong about everything, you know? Mm -hmm. um, even, even Christian apologists have <laughs> those moments. Um, yeah. but, uh, for the most part, I feel more confident about, um, what I believe in and, and that. It's good. So there you go. We'll take a couple more questions. Uh, this one is from Ashton Webb. How do we correct our pastors or leaders if we notice them deconstructing or leaning even toward progressive Christianity? Tim, you have some mm. thoughts on that? Yeah, this is interesting. If this is a, a uh, pastor that you are close with, I'll just tell you, um, especially if you're at a big church and you don't know the pastor, um, you're going to want to uh, approach this with a lot of sensitivity. Okay. I have gotten, you know, off stage at my own church, you know, where there's, you know, uh, before COVID, like a thousand people. And there's people right there ready to tell me what I said was, you know, I, I shouldn't have said this, or I should have said this, or I should, you know, and it's just like, that's probably not the best time to, um, to have that discussion, you know, literally just getting off the stage. Um, it can, cause, cause, it, but that doesn't mean we ignore it. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't, um, raise these serious concerns, especially something like progressive Christianity, which Elise and I would both agree is not Christianity. Okay. So um, I would want to have some kind of relationship with the, the pastor if I was going to um, uh, approach this, maybe go up for coffee and explain, articulate my concerns and have kind of a, a worked out here is the problem that I see. And here's where it's, here's where it doesn't line up with scripture. And so again, this is, we're doing the Luther thing. We're doing the restoration. We're doing the reformation. We're trying to show here's what the Bible says. And here's, here's how I understand it. And here's what I think you're teaching and why it doesn't line up. Okay. Oh. So, um, but again, in the context of a way that it will be received, uh, as, as, I mean, you can't control it. You, obviously if they're, uh, they could just say, forget you, you know, what do you yeah. know? Well, that's fine. But I would prefer that they shut down what I'm saying, not because of I've been offensive or something, you know, yeah. you're a heretic or you're a whatever. That wouldn't be my approach. Yeah. And then there's another question that I'm having trouble finding again, but I can, I can phrase it because it goes along with another question that I think is a thoughtful question here. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, so we'll see. Mm. But the, the original question is, how do we walk through deconstruction with our friends who might be already ah. deconstructing? Because this is uh, something Tim and I have talked about that we want to make sure we have in the book is that there's hope. 
right? Mm-hmm. When, because when, primarily, we, I don't think we mentioned this yet, our book is not written for people in deconstruction, right? One of the things you do when you decide you're going to write a book is who's your primary audience? Who are you writing this for? And what do you want them to get from it? And so yeah. in this book that we're going to be writing on deconstruction, primarily this book is for people who are experiencing deconstruction from the outside. Mm-hmm. So they have friends and loved ones who are deconstructing. They want to understand what's going on with their friends. They want to be able to help them. So that's primarily who the book is for. Now, of course, we want to write it in a tone and in uh, with, with love and in a way that if somebody is in deconstruction, that it might be helpful f- for them too. But primarily, mm-hmm. we're talking to committed Christians who are like, what is going on? And so yeah. this is a question that we will be addressing in the book is how do I walk uh, with a loved one who's in deconstruction? Mm-hmm. Because very often, and we've seen this in the public deconstruction stories, is mm-hmm. that when somebody deconstructs, very often they don't want to talk to Christians. They don't want to yeah. be in a community with you. They want to break from you. <clears throat> they don't want to hear from you. And that's not, by the way, because they're being unkind or unloving. It's just too painful, I think, it, for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. If they've made yeah. that break, for them to go back and worry about, oh, the Christian who's going to try to evangelize me and convert me, I just, mm-hmm. my, my soul can't take it right now. It's more that kind yeah. of thing. And so this is, this is a very important question. Um, and so the, yeah. the best advice I would give is that when I was in deconstruction, there was someone in my life who was very not threatened by it. And I think that's a really good posture to take is don't be threatened by the person's deconstruction. Don't respond in fear. Don't respond in immediate correction. It's kind of like read Job, <laughs> you know, when, when Job is saying you're all terrible counselors because they were all trying to fix his problem. <clears throat> and he just needed someone yeah. to sit with him and cry and comfort him, right? So, so yeah. I think we can learn from that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you in just a second, Tim, to add sure. any thoughts you have, but with maybe some added context of this question from Ruben, who says, oh, let me get the first one here. Uh, have you ever used subversive fulfillment as an alternative approach to apologetics when countering the deconstruction narratives? Uh, it's from the book, Their Rock is Not Like Our Rock, A Theology of Religions by Daniel Strange. Now, I haven't heard of this, so I can't really comment. Um, I've heard of subversive uh, argumentation, subversive uh, type of persuasion. I think Oz Guinness mm-hmm. had talked about this a long time ago, but um, I don't. If you haven't heard of it, you don't have to comment. But did you have anything else to add to that original question there? Um, yeah, I hadn't heard of subversive fulfillment. Um, I did have lots to say. Oh yeah, uh, so someone going through deconstruction. This is really hard, and you got me. You know, my mind was going in a number of different directions because I just it occurred to me as you're speaking. You know, I was the married's uh, ministry director at my church, my wife and I, for seven years. We just actually resigned from that position. And um, we loved doing it. And I had a very close friend about my age who had been married for about five years, um, had a one-year-old at the time. He comes to me and says, Tim, I'm divorcing my wife. And what was interesting when he was going through this, like, kind of deconstruction of his marriage, Okay, we'll call it that. Mm-hmm. He he didn't want anything to do with me. And it wasn't because we weren't friends. We would go to the gym together. I know it doesn't look like it, but we would we would for me. He would go, he we would go to the gym and I kinda he would like help me because he was one of these big, like, you know, muscular dudes, you know. He knew what he was doing. 
and um and we would hung, we hang out we hung out every single week it seemed like and when this happened he cut me out completely he didn't want to he didn't want to be around me because i was the christian pastor he had been to the marriage retreats he had been to all the marriage he had been to, he didn't want to go to my he didn't want to go to church anymore here's the thing I would encourage someone if they're going through deconstruction, as much as they don't want to be with a community, you don't want to do it alone. Do not deconstruct alone. That well, is but they'll so... go to the deconstruction community online. That's that's part I, of the problem is that there's this whole is. discipleship community. And, and you know, Tim, I think it was you in one of our conversations. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, no, actually... Okay, I'm not going to say where I got this. This is not an original thought to me. Um, but this was a personal email with someone else, so I won't reveal who they are. But they made a great point. They said, the deconstruction movement presents itself as a safe place for you to come and deconstruct. So it's very open. We're not going to judge you. You can, you can deconstruct in your own way. But mm -hmm. it's not exactly honest in that... The real goal, though, of this deconstruction movement, as you see, and, and I, I can, you know, I think we're going to demonstrate this in the book with quotes and things from this movement, yeah. is that they really do want you to get to the point they're at, which is rejecting mm -hmm. at least their definition of evangelical Christianity. That's, yeah. you're, they're not going to be a safe place for you if you want to deconstruct, if you want to, if you want to re reform like Luther did. That's not a safe place yeah. for you. And so that's the problem is that people say, oh, I don't want to deconstruct alone. So they go to these online mm -hmm. communities where there are, the liturgists have, last time I checked, 24-7 hangout rooms where you can go and deconstruct 24-7. Wow. Uh, so mm -hmm. there are, uh, there are communities, but I think, you know, what you're saying is don't do it alone. Don't don't go there. Yeah. Go go where there's truth, but you can't convince somebody of that when they've already decided that they're not going to use the Bible as their source for truth, you know? That's where it it does become a problem. And I just I mean, I've been on Twitter and there, you know, so, someone will talk about Elisa Childers and they will say, "Oh yeah, she deconstructed, but she still holds this oppressive view about women, this oppressive view about the LGBT, this oppressive view. And so it's, um, yeah, you didn't yeah, can end I up just where say, you were so How come Martin Luther gets to say he deconstructed, but my deconstruction wasn't real? I'm just saying. Just yeah, saying. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. Because they do so, say that a lot. Yeah. It's absolutely, that's absolutely true. So you're right. There is this kind of difficulty where we want to say, along with, you know, the, the deconstructors out there, don't deconstruct alone. But we want to say deconstruct with others, people you can trust, people who can handle your questions and your doubts and the deconstruction you're going through, um, that they're not going to, they, they can be there for you. So we, we need people in the church and this will be um, something that we're going to write about. We need people in the church to be better, to be the kinds of people that can receive others who are going through deconstruction and not because I my my suspicion is that for some, they think I can't even ask a question at yeah. my church. So I need to go to TikTok or I need to go to Instagram. I need to go to this guy who's got this six part course that's going to help me deconstruct because he'll let me ask questions but my church won't mm -hmm. that's a problem okay so we're not saying 
the church has done everything perfectly. There right. are certainly things within the church that need to be reformed. Yes. Okay. And hopefully we will, um, those churches will read some of the things we have to say and make those changes. Okay. So de don't deconstruct alone, deconstruct with others, people you can trust. We definitely think that there are, um, we, we want people to understand their deconstruction. Um, what kind of deconstruction is it? Are you deconstructing because um, the, in light of scripture, or is it because of one of these other reasons? Okay. And there are tons of, tons of sources of deconstruction out there that have nothing to do with the intellect. They, it could just be simply church hurt. You know, there's mm -hmm. tons of abuse that's happening in, in different churches. Now, personally, I haven't like, I'm not intimately connected with some of that, but I certainly have heard the stories. Yeah. Okay. And I know they're out there. And so we, we got to, you know, uh, deal with that and, and respond to it accordingly. So understand that you can, I, I, there are people that have deconstructed totally down to deconversion mm -hmm. because of young earth creation. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like they, they went to a fundamentalist church that equated young earth creation with the gospel, with Christianity. So, Hey, dinosaurs are 65 million years old. I'm that's out. it for Christianity. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And that to me is, um, a, a just, an over, you know, uh, that's an extreme exaggeration. That should never happen. That's that's someone who doesn't understand a hierarchy of of doctrines. There mm -hmm. are things of first importance Paul writes about, like the gospel, and there are things of second and third and fourth importance. Okay, and that Christians are they're so important, but Christians disagree over them. You know, yeah. they're not they're not gospel issues. So there's these kinds of things. And finally, I would just you know Jesus and 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 his word can handle your deconstruction that would be a a, a big point that i would want to you know throw out there yeah continue to trust man you brought up job and i was reading in job uh in my bible reading plan and there was just like this um and i wrote it down and i don't know if i'm gonna find it but job essentially says though you slay me i think is how he puts it i will hope in you and then it's, and then he goes on to say, and I will make my case towards God. So Job, I mean, the whole, the whole time in the book of Job, he wants to make his case towards God. And he acknowledges, he says, though you slay me, mm -hmm. I'm still going to hope in you. That is like a directional kind of deconstruction. If you want to mm -hmm. call it like there's a, or a doubting in like towards God. Cause I mean, everyone doubts towards something. You're either doubting towards God or away from God. Yeah. And uh, it's not like there's this neutral ground. And I think that um, what I would want to do is encourage those who are asking serious questions, who have been hurt, who are examining their faith, maybe for the first time. This is something we're going to talk about too. My own experience was that I grew up in the church and, and I didn't have a constructed faith. I had a someone gave me my faith essentially and said, like, I'm handing you this mug. Here you go. Take it. And I said, oh, sure. Belief in God. Here you go. Oh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah. And then it came, and then I got to university where I had a lot of smart friends who weren't Christians and they were asking me about belief in God, you know, and belief in, in why the Christian God. And I was like, I believe in God because my parents are Christians. I, I actually said that out loud. 
in the wow. science library. Here I am, like getting a physics degree. And it was like the most embarrassing thing, you know, because these were really smart people. And they looked at me like I had four heads. So, um, it, so there are people who just haven't constructed their faith. Mm -hmm. And so we would want to, we would want to encourage, Hey, yeah, there construct your own faith. Absolutely. And, and look at the truths of Christianity, what we believe and why we believe it. And, uh, and could, because you and I, Elisa, both think that Christianity can handle it. Christianity, and that's because it's true. Yeah. It really is true. Yeah. So Good. anyways, that, those are some, some thoughts, but of that's course good. there's lots that we're going to say in the book to help people yeah. as well. Well, just some final thoughts here. I'll give some final thoughts and I'll throw it over to you, Tim, to give some final thoughts today. Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately speaking, the overarching thing I'd like to say about deconstruction, just as we're deep in this research and deep in, um, first of all, I'd like to ask everybody to pray for us because mm -hmm. it is a very dark and depressing research. I'm just being really honest. It's very, yeah. it's like if you are madly in love with your spouse and then your day job is to go into the dark web of everybody saying horrible things about your spouse. That's what this research feels like to me, mm -hmm. you know, because I love Jesus and I know what he's done in my life and I believe Christianity is true. And so to immer be immersed in that echo chamber, it's not easy. It's not uh, pleasant. And, um, and so, pray for us, that the Lord will strengthen us, that he will uh, give us just the right approach, the right words, the right tone, all of that stuff. We, we would ask you to pray for us. But I would just say the overarching thing I think we, we want to say is that defined properly, I think the approach we're taking in the book is that deconstruction is not a biblical term. It's not a biblical category. And we, we don't think Christians should deconstruct. We think Christians should always be restoring themselves to the authentic faith, reforming to the authentic faith. We're going to we're going to look at some different words. Um, but we we would not say, you know, I think it's very dangerous when I see articles from uh, otherwise theologically solid people saying, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have to be afraid of deconstruction. Just deconstruct and, and get rid of. But they're using the definition in a way that is not what people mean in the movement. Because what my concern is, is that a young high school kid is going to say, oh, deconstruction is good. I should deconstruct my bad beliefs. Then they search it online and they get sucked into this vortex of this entirely organized, I mean, not organized in, the, in an official sense, but a massive community of people that will bring you into every reason why you should not believe Christianity is true. And so I think that, um, not, and I shouldn't say that we should be afraid of deconstruction, but I don't think we should be encouraging people to do it when it's defined yeah. properly. So that's what we're going to attempt to do in the book and yet also offer hope if you are in deconstruction or if somebody that you love is already there, there's hope. And um, God is not taken surprise, you know, he's not surprised by any of this. He's not like, oh, what's happening? Everybody's, you know, God, God's got this. And the church yeah. is going, is everything is going to be okay. Jesus' bride is just fine. And she will continue to be just fine. That is a good word. You are, you, as you were talking, you, I wrote down the word warn. Okay. You got the warning and I'm, I wrote down the word hope underneath. Good. So you're kind of, so I think, I think both those things are really important. This, this book and what we've been talking about, we we're trying to warn people because um, there is a concern here 
and uh, anyone who says there isn't just is is ignoring um, what's going on or doesn't doesn't really care what happens to the church. Okay, um, but hope you're right, and we've we've talked about this this idea of um, of Peter and Peter and the kind of the journey that Peter went on, and even the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, Peter denying the Lord on the Friday, and then Sunday we know well. The resurrection, the appearance to Peter, Peter's faith is is restored. What what often doesn't get talked about is the Saturday. And people listening to us right now, I'm sure, have loved ones. Um, maybe a spouse, maybe it's a son or daughter, maybe it's grandkids, um, maybe it's a friend who are in that Saturday right now where they um, are questioning whether Christianity is true. Maybe they've fully gone away. Maybe they've deconstructed to deconversion. Um, and what we want to say is there is still hope. There was hope for Peter. Peter had his Sunday come, right? For Peter, it was, it was literally the next day. Um, but for you, it, it may be next week, or it may be a year from now, or it may be longer. Um, God knows. So that would be kind of the, the look at this. We're writing this book not just as a warning, we do think there's things that are concerning, not just to help us understand what is really going on here. Let's bring some clarity because there's a lot of confusion. Okay. But we also want someone to close this book and say, you know what? There is hope. All is not lost. All is not lost. So there you go. Good. I love it. Well, I want to thank my guest, Tim Barnett. Go check him out on Red Pad and Logic on YouTube. I think it's, uh, what is it, Tim, on uh, on uh, TikTok? You're the original Mr. B. What is it that you are over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tell us where we can I'm find on. you online. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, original underscore Mr. B on TikTok. Um, I didn't want to like totally go in with the whole Red Pen thing. Um, initially because there was, you know, concern about what I was going to do on there. And so I just kind of went under my own, my own kind of handle there. So original underscore Mr. B on TikTok. And uh, in three months or four months, we got like a hundred thousand followers. It is unreal. Um, there's right. such a need. There's such a need for apologetics on there. Yeah. And then uh, we also got a Facebook page that's Red Pen Logic, Instagram that's Red Pen Logic. And um, and then, of course, YouTube. We would love for you to come over there and subscribe um, to the YouTube channel. That's great. So right when you're done from here, make sure you subscribe here. Click the bell icon. Be uh, made aware every time we have new videos. Remember, we've got these great ones coming up. Rosaria Butterfield, Christopher Yuan. We've got Scott Klusendorf coming up to talk about the biggest uh, objections to pro-life arguments, how we can answer those biblically. We're gonna be talking about universalism. Got lots of great stuff coming down the pike. So hit subscribe here, then go over to Red Pen Logic. Subscribe on there if you're on TikTok, original underscore Mr. B. Check it out. Thank you guys so much for watching and we're gonna see you next time. Thank you.